Hi everyone, welcome to OCBC Insights. This is Zizi from OCBC Credit Research. This podcast is about non-traditional REITs. REITs are funds that invest in a portfolio of income-generating real estate assets with the aim of generating income for unit holders. Traditionally, REITs hold retail, office and industrial assets, while non-traditional REITs hold assets such as healthcare, self-storage, lodging, infrastructure, data centres, casinos, prisons, cell towers and etc. In Singapore's context, non-traditional REITs came into existence when real estate assets utilised in the business are spun off from an operating company that owned these assets. These moves generated cash upfront for the original owners while tapping the interest of investors in investment vehicles that can generate stable returns. Typically, these companies who previously owned the assets then become sponsors of the REITs and continue to utilise the assets as master leases. The assets of the REITs are held via a REIT trustee and are professionally managed by a REIT manager who is responsible for attracting tenants, negotiating rent rates and maintaining the competitiveness of the assets to deliver to stakeholders the optimal outcome. We think that while investors benefit through returns during good times, they also bear the brunt in times of difficulties. Given the uniqueness of non-traditional REITs, we think there are distinct risks involved, though sometimes overlooked by investors. In the Singapore market, we think there are three non-traditional REITs. They are First REIT, Parkway Life REIT, and Capo DC REIT. As such, there are just 9% of our REIT based on market cap that are non-traditional REITs. We think one possible explanation for the significantly smaller proportion of non-traditional REITs listed on the SGX is that we have the business trust regime here, which allows non-traditional assets owners to utilize the business trust structure to carve out a synthetic cash flow. While these are perceived as being traditional REITs in the Singapore market context, we see them more as hybrid straddling between traditional and non-traditional given their unique characteristics. From a credit profile perspective, the most important differentiator between traditional and non-traditional REITs in our view is whether the underlying property assets of REITs are leased out to third parties at market-based rents versus a pool of assets that are carved out from existing operations with the lease payments being a synthetic new cash flow stream created. In the later case, we observe vault of the master leases are entities related to the sponsor. This alone poses two key risks to the REIT. First, while the REIT can benefit from having master leases on front such as having a longer lease tenure and requiring fewer resources from the REIT to manage, tenant concentration risk is a concern. Master leases typically take out a large amount of space within an asset, if not the entire asset. As compared to assets that are multi-tenanted, should the master leases opt to pre-terminate the lease agreement or delay payment, or default on rent payment, the REIT is likely to be majorly affected. The REIT may even run into cash flow problems as a result. This is a striking concern especially in cases where multiple assets within the REIT are master leased to the same single master leasee. For multi-tenanted properties, any tenant transition or delinquencies would have a relatively smaller impact on the REIT. That said, these risks may be somewhat mitigated through the master leases holding stakes in the REIT. 
The second key risk lies in the REIT being highly dependent on its tenant, who is likely also the sponsor. Minimum rent and rental support are sometimes built into master lease agreements that are somewhat underwritten by the sponsor. We think these, along with the sponsor being the master leasee, would make the REIT more reliant on the master leasee and sponsor, specifically in times of difficulties when its assets are underperforming. However, should the sector the sponsor operate in be hit by unforeseen problems, then we think these REITs, though typically seen as low risk, may be directly hit by the sponsor terminating the lease or failing to make rent payments. As such, the sponsor can be a key determining factor on the performance and operating strength of the REIT, and the REIT is unlikely to have a credit strength that exceeds its sponsor. Separately, the fact that the master lease is also the sponsor brings about conflict of interest issues. In particular, while the master leasee would benefit from lower rent, it would be at the expense of the REIT. We also think that the sponsor, that is the master leasee, has more negotiating power in cases as compared to the REIT given the high dependency on, by the REIT on its sponsor. This misalignment of interest in itself would disadvantage investors in the REIT, particularly the minorities, though the extent is very much situation dependent. Other issues we think an investor in a non-traditional REIT should think about as well include the assets being less versatile. Take hospitals for instance. The barriers to entry are no doubt higher. An operator is required to have some level of expertise in areas of healthcare. The design and construction of the hospital facility are also created to feed beds, medical devices and other specifications such as ease of transportation of patients within the building. As such, we think these assets cannot be repurposed easily. Substantial costs would have to be involved in order to alter the usage of such properties. In fact, it makes little sense in reality to repurpose these facilities. Such assets are typically sold away to the owner or the REIT manager when the REIT manager is unable to find a replacement operator. Comparatively, traditional assets such as retail office and logistics properties can be repurposed more conveniently. Therefore, there are limitations to the natural of non-traditional assets which we think pose significant risks to their cash flows and valuations. Delving deeper into the valuation of properties owned by non-traditional REITs, we think it's mainly derived from the rent it can generate due to the lack of comparable market transactions. As such, the resilience of the valuation of an asset is a function of the counterparty credit risk of its tenant and the stability of its cash flow, both of which are linked to the nature of the business the tenants operate in. For non-traditional assets that are master leased to entities linked to the sponsor, the resilience of the valuation of the assets, in our view, can only be as strong as the credit health of its sponsor. Comparatively from traditional REITs, most properties are multi-tenanted with third-party tenants significantly present. As such, for traditional REITs, the track record of the REIT is crucial, while for non-traditional REITs, we think the track record of its sponsor is key in determining the resilience of the valuation of the asset. With that, we have come to the end of the podcast. We hope you find it useful. Thank you. This has been a podcast from OCBC Bank. Follow us on Spotify for more episodes like the one you've just heard.